And if so, blip, blip, that's wrong. <laughs> Out of practice. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 103 of Tea or mm. Books. I'm Simon. I'm Rachel. And in this episode, we will be doing books that make us think versus books that make us feel. And in the second half, a novel by Penelope Lively called Moon Tiger and a novel by Margaret Lawrence called The Diviners. And before we get to that, sorry it's been so long for those who regularly listen. Um, I'm not I'm not going to throw Rachel under the bus. It could have been either of us who kept cancelling, kept delaying. It could have been anyone. We don't know. But, but here we are and raring to go. How are you, Rachel? What's up? What are you I'm reading? good, thank you. Um, it's, you know, it's been a busy, busy time here. Um before you start being horrible to me. Um, sorry for the delay, everyone. Um, yeah, I'm okay. I'm busy in the final stages of my master's, so there's lots of writing to do and, you know, quite stressful deadlines and things, but, you know, getting there. Um, and what am I reading at the moment? Well, I've been reading The Diviners for this, obviously. Um, and I'm, as I've just said to you, I'm sort of a third of the way through reading The Corner That Held Them by Sylvia Townsend Warner. Um, which is holding my interest for just about. Um, it's yeah, an intriguing concept. Yeah, I was saying just before we got on that some people really love it, and I really didn't. It's it's what well, is it? Several centuries of a of a nunnery. Um, no, well, actually, it's all in the same century, I think. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm a third of the way through. It, <laughs> it, still, it felt still like still several centuries. Yeah, well, I'm sure it did. <laughs> we're still in the 1300s. Um, I'm finding it very interesting to read something set at that period of time. I don't think I've ever read anything set at that period of time before um, that wasn't actually written at the time, if you see what I mean. So I'm finding it interesting that she chose to write a story set in that period. And it is interesting. And I do like stuff set in convents. It's set in a convent. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, But it's, it's, you know, it's very Sylvia Townsend Warner. It's quirky. It's interesting. But, um, yeah, it's not like one of those books that you think, oh, I'm desperate to go and find out what happens next. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit hard to motivate yourself to go back to it. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I feel like I'm in a bit of a reading rut, actually. I read, I went on holiday for a week, for a weekend in March and I read like six books over one weekend and I was like, you know, really loving yeah. my reading because I, I just happened to like have a load of books that were great. And then since then I've not really found something that i'm desperate to read what was the best book you read there the feast by margaret kennedy mm. which i found in the charity shop and i was really pleased i found it because i know everyone's been talking about it it's a reprint um that favor and favor have done recently it's a beautiful cover actually and it's about a um a cornish hotel that's that's underneath a cliff it's all very um so it's it should be a lovely location, but it's not because the cliff overshadows it and all these people who come to stay there and the cliff is falling down. And at the beginning of the novel, you know that the cliff has collapsed onto the hotel and seven people have died. But oh, there's gosh, seven okay. people staying in the hotel and you don't know who dies. And then so you then read the novel and it goes back in time by five days and you see all the people who were there. And um, it's basically it's a morality tale. So it's like the, the seven people who die represent the seven deadly sins. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, it's really interesting and it's really well written as well. I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, we should definitely do that was, in a yeah, future episode because I just I, think, I bought it last year as well, but I'm not ready oh, yet. Did you? Yeah, I think it was written in the fifties, so it's um it's a really good book and it's like it's an easy read, but it's also well written. So um I'd, I'd be really, I know that she was quite prolific as a writer. Con- the constant nymph is her most famous, I think. So mm-hmm. I'd be interested to read more by her. 
Yeah, I've definitely gone up and up and down with her books, but uh, but we can save that for another future episode. Oh, intriguing. Okay, so what about you, Simon? What's going on? Well, since we last recorded, I've had COVID. I finally oh. ticked it off. Um, it does seem a long time ago now. But uh, in fact, I read the Diviners whilst I had COVID, so <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, I quite remember how much has gone in and how much I was just falling asleep mid-page. I had it relatively mildly, so all was well. Um, I have just finished the the versions of us by Laura Barnett. Have you read that? Have you come across? I, that? I haven't. I've not heard of her as a writer actually. It's one of those ones I'd seen in bookshops, and it's from my book club. I'm not sure um, how well known it is, but uh, it's a sort of sliding doors style thing. Oh, okay. Three different narratives about whether or not this couple met or how they met in the first scene and then what follows them in the years later which is actually a very similar premise to one of the british library women writers books which way by theodora benson but whereas very good um very good product placement yep (laughs) 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 but whereas while the benson it had sort of all of the first thing and then all of the second one then all of the third one this Mm. one chops and change between the three and i found it incredibly confusing uh, just to remember which plot line was which I found it hard enough to remember one narrative let alone three but when I put on Twitter has anyone read it? Was there, is everyone else confused? the two people who had read it said that they were not confused so it might, might just, just be me <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, what else am I reading? I'm reading an Elizabeth Fair novel, one of the Furred Middlebrow oh, ones, yes. uh, The Native Heath for the 1954 Club that is coming up soon. Okay. Um, we get everyone to read books from 1954. Uh, and I am enjoying it. It's like a lot of Elizabeth Fairs that I've read. I say that. This might be only the third one I've read. <laughs> <laughs> but where I really like it. And then they just, she just keeps adding more and more characters. And I wish she was satisfied to have a slightly smaller canvas, maybe. Um Right. Because I found the first two characters really intriguing. This woman who inherits a, a house and her cousin who was equally entitled to the house but did not inherit it but moves there with her. That sort ah. of dynamic was really interesting. But yeah, then we suddenly switched to people being upset about the village being turned into a new town. Um, so all those dynamics. Trying to do a bit too much. Maybe. I mean, a lot of people really love her, but I did, yeah, I found, what was the last one I read? Brenton Wick. Again, really liked it, but maybe too many people... Um, and it sort of dilutes it a bit. Shame. I mean, I read one of hers. When we did one for this, out. didn't we? The win- a Winter we Away. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. That one I did like most. I think of the of the of the two that I finished. I liked <laughs> more, I should say. Um, we've had some correspondence oh. that I'm going to share. Uh, always love hearing from people at tea or books at gmail.com and indeed the main topic today was suggested by somebody thank you but uh got an email from bill um who okay. talked a little bit about sober towns and water to me but then says please pass this recommendation on to rachel here we go <laughs> into the woods a five-act journey into storytelling by john york the author is a former commissioning editor of dramas for the bbc he looks the deep takes a deep look at the underlying elements of popular drama I found it fascinating and enlightening. Perhaps with their interest in playwriting, this would appeal. Oh, well, thank you very much. I will, I will add that to my list. I'm going to do that right Excellent. And then Maraid from Melbourne, Australia, is the person who suggested um, books that make you think versus books that make you feel. And she put this, which I very much enjoyed. Um, 
It was a thrill to hear you might do my topic, which I hope Rachel hates the idea of, but then finds so much to say about. (laughs) (laughs) I do hate the idea of it. Um, And I am currently thinking, what the hell am I going to say about it? So So we're going to find out in a minute. (laughs) Yeah. Um, She also says, keep cracking that whip with Rachel. She needs your gentle discipline. So thank you, Wade. (gasps) You know, you know, the dynamics that are going on here. I mean, I did feed her some some of that. Um direction in my email to Can I just say that I am bullied on a regular basis? <laughs> I don't it's know like an aggressive true. text message. <laughs> Assertive, not aggressive. <laughs> uh, but what I loved about Maraid's email is that she started listening to us in December, specifically December 11th, 2021. Right. And she, by the time she emailed me in, let's have a look, in February, 3rd of February, she had listened to all 102 episodes. Oh. How can you put up with us for that long? It's very impressive. <laughs> well, thank uh, you for, for wanting to listen to us that much. Yeah, it's very kind, Ray. Right? Imagine hearing us age that much in, in such a short period. <laughs> we were in our 20s when we started. Stop it. It is now. Um, and thank you very much, Maraid, for suggesting this first topic, books that make you think, books that make you feel. Rachel. No, don't you, make me start. You've already said that you hate it, but I want to know what your initial thoughts are when you hear it well i'm thinking to myself is it possible to have one or the other is what i'm you know puzzling over because i suppose i mean traditionally you'd be thinking well if it's a non-fiction book you're supposed to think about it and then if it's a fiction book you're supposed to, to engage your emotions because you're entering into an imaginary world these people aren't real but then you know at the same time when you're reading a work of fiction you are expected to think about you know how it affects you and for you to go away and consider what you might want to change about yourself or like what you've learned from the experience so they're not mutually exclusive I'm just like you can read a non-fiction book and be quite moved by you know the life of somebody or inspired by things that people have done so um yeah I mean I'm just I'm just thinking to myself yeah I don't know well, I can't think of like, oh, this is a really great example of it. I mean, I can tell you plenty of examples of books that have made. Well, actually, do you know what? Let's think about. Um, I'm going to come back to my favourite book that I always bring out <laughs> in every Emma? episode. Yes, it is. <laughs> Didn't know you'd read a... it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. It's the perfect example for everything. Um, because it is a book that makes you feel, I think, very strongly. You know, you are reading it through the eyes of, of Emma herself, who is she wouldn't call herself an emotional person but she is and she judges based on her emotions rather than her thoughts she doesn't stop and think about anything she's registering in and you know you you go through this emotional journey with her and you're carried along by it and you end up making bad like not bad decisions but you end up you know going down cul-de-sacs with her and believing things that aren't true and um picking up on clues that just things that emma thinks are true and then when you get to the end and you realise that you've been misled, you can then go back and unpick it all. And then you really have to use your brain. Oh, hang on a second. Okay, when was the first time that happened? And oh, okay, that's when that happened. And oh, right, actually, I was being misdirected in that chapter. And what I really should have been focusing on is this. So that's a perfect example of books, a book that does both. It makes me cry at the end, but it also makes me want to go back to the beginning immediately and figure out exactly what just happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think if we're thinking... Just about fiction, um, because obviously there are lots of non-fiction books that are deliberately designed to make you think. Uh, I think it's that there are lots of books that just make me feel things, but mm-hmm. 
probably none that just make me think, but the one, when I think about thinking, <laughs> it's going to be hard, isn't it? Um, uh, I was imagining maybe like morality books or books with it, which have a very a moral that you're meant to come away with, which have very much gone out of fashion. Yeah. Uh, and indeed, moralistic is considered a negative trait, even though I, there's no reason why a book shouldn't be moralistic and be very good at that. Um, whether that's, you know, Victorian children's stories or, or earlier about um, teaching children not to lie or something. But I was also, I've just recently read Because of the Lockwoods by Dorothy Whipple. Um, which I really enjoyed. It's one of one of my favourite of hers now. Uh, and at the heart of that is this family who use their position and their wealth to bully and patronise another family who are dependent on them. Although not a very impoverished family, they, they've they've fallen a long way, but they're still certainly middle to upper middle class, I guess. Um, and like several of Dorothy Whipple's books, I think there is a a thinky part in the middle there is a moral there is a sort of lesson uh, but she teaches it to you through feeling i guess mm-hmm. um so in that sense both something very different that i was thinking of as you as you were speaking is the detective novel is a thinky genre yes no that's very true yeah and uh it's not in the sense of coming away with the moral of course except the moral of don't kill people but um hopefully not a shock to anybody reading it but it went those are the particularly the golden age murder mysteries where it is all um a puzzle you're not probably not feeling that much and the deaths in the books don't i mean and there's lots of exceptions i'm sure but but i can't think of any classic murder mysteries where i felt a lot of emotion about the deaths but i am always thinking <laughs> yeah no i think that's very true actually and um I think that's something for me that separates, for example, Dorothy L. Sayers from Agatha Christie. Because I always mm. feel like in Dorothy L. Sayers, I do have more of an emotional connection. Um, I feel like the characters are more well-rounded and you care a bit more about the people who die rather than in Agatha Christie. It is very much just a, a kind of cerebral process of you mm. unpicking mm. the clues and getting to the end and you, you've got that distance. And I think actually for me, that's why I enjoy them so much because I don't have to engage my emotions somebody dies i don't have to you know feel upset um and actually it was quite interesting the feast by margaret kennedy is is quite like that um Mm, you start off and you already know that the characters are going to die so Mm. immediately i suppose when you start reading it you think i can't get emotionally involved and so that was interesting for me because i I, um i did find my emotions engaging but at the same time i thought she's not going to kill off characters that we care about and then I was also trying to work out what the dead, deadly sins were and who was which one. Yeah, and I yeah. find it really difficult to separate the deadly sins. You know, when you're like, well, yeah, but that's kind of the same as that. So, <laughs> um, and, you know, I t- tend to find people who are representative of those sorts of things are often representative of lots of other things as well. So, um, so that was quite fun. And it was enjoyable because it, it kind of made, I, I had to, I had to do the work and I liked that. That's interesting. I'm, my GCSE art project was a painting of a house in which the seven deadly sins were represented. Oh, yeah, how interesting. Insight. I um, wasn't allowed to do GCSE art. In fact, I was banned from doing it because oh, no. I was too bad at art. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Did you want to? Um, not particularly. I did want to do music, but again, I was banned from it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, I'm una- my teacher said I, I have wonderful musicianship, but um, I'm unable to follow rules. So, wow. um, yeah. Which sounds kind of like me, yeah. Yeah, it does sound on brand. Um, 
Uh, my school was not choosy about who did what. Most of the people in my class got E's for art, but they were allowed to do it. <laughs> and I'm sure they had a lovely time. I'm sure they did. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was thinking also about this sort of high concept literary books like, um, I don't know if I mean high concept, but things like Milan Kundera or who have I read recently? The very uh, postmodern books where the, where the writing never really settles somewhere or it's always always about illusions or yeah the, the writing is itself part of part of the form um does that make sense but it's something, something like that i mean i don't think it'd be well easy. it's it's a work of you know it's an exercising style yeah, well. yeah yeah um uh and those i suppose it's not impossible to feel in those but it feels like um, if the if the form in the writing itself is meant to be part of what makes the book stand out rather than a vehicle for the for the characters, then maybe they're leaning more into the thinking side. Yeah, I think there's a lot of I think that's why I have a problem with a lot of modern fiction, particularly the sort of stuff that's written to win prizes, because it feels to me like it is an exercise in in writing something that's impressive rather than something that says something meaningful about who we are as humans and i think it's those books that say something meaningful that engage our emotions and, and do make us feel involved in what we're reading and do move us and i think that's that kind of you know creating a book that's being very clever and you know it's got a chapter that's in the shape of an egg or whatever <laughs> you know all this kind of stuff it's just like okay that's great but for me i don't read a book to be impressed just by the quality of writing or how clever it is or how much it makes me feel stupid because I don't understand all these references to like I don't know quantum physics or whatever um for me that's that's very distancing and again they'll probably say that's the whole point we're challenging what what it is mm. to, to be a novel it's like yeah that's great but at the end of the day who wants to curl up on the sofa with that yeah uh and it's interesting that I said uh, earlier that books that are f entirely in the thinking category tend to be dismissed as moralistic but i think books that are entirely in the feeling category tend to be dismissed as too light or mm. um I, I would think of you know mills and boone books or yes um anything or, that is you know chiclet which yeah again, i was really is, trying not to use that term but, but yes but it, yeah <laughs> you know and it, I, I think there's actually a huge element of misogyny to that because most more often than not books that are encouraging you to feel and that are quote unquote light are written by women for women and that dismissal of emotions as being something meaningless and um it's like you know domestic fiction being considered lesser value and to look at the other sort of gendered fiction of perhaps more the past but westerns or army books mm. or war books which are obviously there's lots of very nuanced war books but the sort that are just fighting and drama and yeah. you know, battle is is feeling a different way. It's feeling, you know, full yeah. adrenaline. There's no thinking going on there. Um, so maybe when things are, are fully at one side or the other, they tend to be critically dismissed for one reason or another. Although I think the ones that are gendered for men tend to have historically been dismissed less than the ones that are gendered for women, shockingly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what a surprise. And I think it's a shame, actually, that, that emotion in a novel or in a work of art in general, I suppose, is so dismissed as being something that should be derided or, you know, seen as having less value or less worth as a, as a piece of writing. Because, you know, as I, as I said, I think the main purpose of anything should be to move you, shouldn't it? Otherwise, what's the point in doing it? Well, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I do think there might be others who would say the main purpose of anything should be to educate you. But uh, 
Oh, I think um, that's a bit dull. Yeah. I mean, have you, have you done your Myers-Briggs? Are you an F or a T? Do you know? Um, I'm a feeling, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't be more feeling, yeah. <laughs> so, I'm, think... I'm the same as Barack Obama, apparently. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, no, thank you. I was quite pleased about that. <laughs> Uh, I found it very illuminating when I got my brother to do it and we were the same except he was very strongly T and I was very strongly F and it explained How basically every argument we've ever had because <laughs> I'm like but think about the people and he's like but what about logic <laughs> so, <laughs> he now denies having done the test but he did do it Colin I, I knew you did I remember you doing it <laughs> cool well maybe that's all we have to say about thinking and feeling or do you have yeah. more to say no, I don't think I do. I mean, I think um, it's an interesting topic, actually. And it's. I thought that I was going to say, I don't think it's possible to read anything without doing one or the other, but I don't actually think that's true. I think yeah. that Mairead correctly predicted that you would hate it and then find interesting things to say. I'm like that I'm so predictable (laughs) (laughs) well she did binge 102 episodes in in two months so it's like feeding it into some sort of bot isn't it can turn out can turn out the platonic ideal of an episode now yeah um but I guess we have to make decision uh thinking or feeling I'll always go with feeling yes as would I we haven't talked about nonfiction. I guess there I might lean towards thinking, but also narrative nonfiction is a lot more doing both now, isn't it? So. It is, yeah. Uh, yes, as as so often, I think the ideal is probably both things at once. Yes, but so you know, if you were to have one, I'd yes. rather have a heart. Yeah, <laughs> it's like we've suddenly in the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> um, great, thank you very much, Maraid. We always love getting mm. topic suggestions, thank tea you. or books at gmail dot com. Yeah. Um, and we have a question for the middle section as well. Oh, okay. How exciting. I know. Thank you, Ruth, for sending this in. Um, hello, I have a question for the middle section of Tea or Books, she says. How do you mm. cope with the loss of books? Inspired by recently moving house and discovering a whole box of books has seemingly vanished. Thank <gasps> um, So this is about losing them rather than culling them. Uh, the tone of voice you just used there to say <laughs> that word. <laughs> Yes, we don't, we don't need more of you telling people that they should get rid of all their books. <laughs> no, I never use the word all in that context, okay? <laughs> just considering what you do and don't need because, you know, it's a burden. <laughs> burden. Um, I think, uh, you know, that's a, I'm very sorry that that's happened. I just want to say that because I yes. can imagine I would feel horrified in the same situation. Um, I wonder where those books have gone. My dad once lost a box of books when moving house when he was probably about 25. And ever since, he's attributed any books he can't find to being lost in that box, which now must be the size of a skip, <laughs> given the number of things. That... Uh, do you have any experiences, Rachel? Have you been in a similar position to Ruth? Or are we going to be thinking about how hypothetically we'd cope with it? I, I have lost books in my time, yeah. Um, usually at the hands of my mum. Peace. Um, <laughs> accidentally I do actually remember one time when I was we were clearing things away I think we were moving and um my mum thought that a a bag of books was the charity shop bag when it wasn't so some books went to the charity shop that I had wanted to keep and I was very upset by that so you've been Um, in this position how did you go I have well, first of all, there were some words said that I regretted later <laughs> to my mummy, my mummy. Um, and then, do you know what? Actually, 
it was quite cathartic in the end because I thought this has happened there's nothing I can do about it and the reality is I can survive without them and my mum was like you know we can go to the charity shop we can explain and I was like and actually I was like you know what I don't I couldn't even tell you exactly what was in there Mm -hmm. and when I had that moment of realization I think I was a bit calmer about it and I was like actually I don't I can't miss what I don't remember I had and I was at a point in my life where I was sort of collecting things sort of indiscriminately um, and I probably hadn't read half of them. So I, I sort of managed that way. I think if it had been really precious books that I'd collected over time, like I've got particular books that I've bought in specific editions that were expensive mm-hmm. and I, I think I would be really upset. But then I do, I'm a, a bit sort of, it's, it's only stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't really attach too much sentimental meaning to things. And I think, oh, well, I can always replace it. So it wouldn't devastate me. But I do know it is. I think if it had been a special book that someone had given me and it was like memory of something, I'd feel quite upset about it. But I think I'd get over it quite quickly. But it is um, it is hard. Yeah, I don't think I've been in a similar position. Like the only books I've lost have been individual ones i've lent to people and then they have never given them back so it's um i've never lost a box full in this way uh yeah i guess it it would of course depend what they were um i think i would if it if it was books that i would thought would be hard to replace i would find it very sad and how would i cope how would i cope i probably cope just by thinking about it far too much for a month and then getting Mm. over it (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm quite yeah I mean, I'm not so much an overthinker as an overfeeler, so I'd be very like, I'd be very distraught, and uh, I would just, it'd be clouding my mind all the time, and then one day I'd realise I was not thinking about it anymore. Yeah, and also you know, Ruth. it would be a nice, it's a nice excuse to go book shopping. I also would definitely use it as a justification for buying yeah. any book I wanted for the next year. I'd be like, well, yeah. I lost that box of books, of course, so better get this. <laughs> So that's our advice, Ruth. Our main advice is we hope that you feel happier about it soon, but most, but then also please use it as an excuse to to binge. Yeah, we we absolutely support you doing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You didn't mention if you have um, a partner or anyone else who moved with you, but um, it was definitely their fault. Yeah. Yeah. If, If you do need anyone to justify the expenditure to, then please do feel free to reference us. Yeah. Uh, great. Lovely. Thank you, Ruth. Again, if you, you would like to ask a question for the middle section, tealbooks at gmail.com. Um, and on to the books uh, that we're discussing Penelope Lively's Moon Tiger from 1970 something, 1980 something, 1980 something. Yes, late eighties, and then the Diviners by Margaret Lawrence, which I think was the mid seventies. Oh, was it? Yes. Yeah. Um, which would you like to introduce us to? I don't know. Uh, can I do the Diviners? You can. Um, okay. Do you want to? Shall I go first? Yeah, you go first, and I'll go after. So, the Moon Tiger is uh, the winner of the Booker Prize from nineteen eighty-seven. Um, it has this wonderful opening line. Uh, of I'm writing a history of the world, she says, and it's set partly in the present day where Claudia Hampton is on her deathbed and her memory is is intermittent. Her, well, her memory is very good, actually. Her awareness of what's going on around her is intermittent. Um, and it's in those final moments or final days that she's remembering 
the his, her history and how that relates to the history of the world. So we look back um, over her life, predominantly this great love affair that happened in the war, but also the person she ended up having a child with, um, the disappointment that child might have been, her relationship <laughs> with her brother, uh, her brother's wife, this cast of characters who have been most dominant in her life, even if not the people that she's often liked the most, her in career as a writer. Um, and yeah, it, it sort of weaves these different things uh, together, not in a particularly linear way, just lots of key moments. And we, we learn more about the, her story as it uh, cumulatively builds. But I think key in it is this love that she had with Tom, who um, she met in Egypt. Okay, so The Diviners um, is quite is similar in some ways. I mean, the main character is Borag Gunn, who is, lives in Canada, the looks set in Canada. And she... I don't actually know how old she is. Oh, does it? Yeah, she's mid-40s, I think it's her. Mid-40s, okay. Um, And she is a writer, and she lives in a kind of... Seems to be some sort of rural kind of farmstead, but she's not very good at doing any of the actual farming or looking after the land. And she is for some reason at the beginning but i'm i'm still confused because from what i've read um she kind of goes back in time and and tells the kind of the story of her childhood and um her life as like i've i'm up to the bit where she's sort of in toronto and she's left university and she's got married um and in the present day her she's got an 18 year old daughter he's he's gone off and um has travelled away from her and it's how she's dealing with that and that also sort of takes her back to her own childhood and why she is the way she is and for the kind of mother that she's become and she was an orphan and she grew up with a very poor couple who adopted her and um, in a very rural remote Canadian town and it's a fascinating slice of, of history and also like the emotional um, I guess you could kind of call it a building Roman in some ways of her of her growth from a child into an adult. So that's that. Yeah, so I think in some ways they surprisingly are quite similar, which I didn't yeah. really know. So they are both about these right single mothers who are writers mm-hmm. who have had uh, unsuccessful but fairly long lasting relationships with the the fathers of their daughters yeah. with a fairly uneasy relationship with their daughters and both looking back at their lives although one from the end of her life and one from the middle of her life yeah um and yes very, very well summarized actually so oh thank you very much right yeah. we're done um <laughs> uh, and yet very well quite different in in writing style and certainly yes. different in length like <laughs> yes. tiger is very s- slim and and uh um, you said 500 pages for The Diviners. My copy is about 386, but it's very small font, so I suppose it could be a longer edition if you were... <laughs> I'm on I'm on Kindle. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I read them both for the first time now. You read Moon Tiger quite a while ago, didn't you? I did, yeah. Is this your first Margaret Lawrence? It is. I've never even heard of her before you suggested this. So I, I had very little to go on in terms of what to expect. Um, I was interested to read a Canadian novelist, a book set in Canada. I mean, my only real big experience of Canadian writing is Margaret Atwood. So I was really excited to to get that and also to read something really set in Canada and to read something about Canadian history. Um, and I think that element of the story is, is really interesting because um, 
Margaret of Morag's family and the family of um uh Christy and um Prin, who she stays with. Well actually Prin's family are English, aren't they? But Christy's Scottish. And so you've got that real history of Scottish immigration to Canada and how um that first generation of immigrants still feels really connected to their Scottish past and their Scottish histories and the history of Piper Gunn that Christy keeps telling Morag, which is he says is her relative and how he brought from the Sutherland Highland clearances, who brought, you know, with his pipes bearing the whole people, the tribe coming over from the clan, sorry, coming over from um Scotland to the new the new world, the new country and what they've made of themselves. Um and that sense of of kind of everybody being kind of nobody really belonging they're not being everybody comes from somewhere else um and that's really interesting you've also got the kind of what they call the meti people the people who are half french half creole half um from native um well native canadian backgrounds um and how they're also kind of judged and set apart in the in the town and they live out on the in the in cabins that they've built for themselves and um so I found her, the, what I found difficult reading it was that I was so enthralled by the stories of her childhood that I didn't really want to come back into the present. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, unlike Moon Tiger, it's told chronolo- chronologically, but in two yeah. separate chron- chronologies. So we have the present day and we have the past, but the past is getting gradually nearer and nearer the present. So it's not jumping all over the place yeah. in the same way. Um and yeah, I fa- I actually found both of them quite beguiling, but the the present is obviously there's less going on because she's covering less time, and it's mostly about the, the diviner of the title is a nearby man who is a water diviner, uh, yeah. who doesn't have that significant a role um, in the plot, but I, but is more significant uh, metaphorically perhaps. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy from the Meti tribe who is her uh, the Skinner. Fu- Skinner. Um, it's not his real name, but that's what he's known as. Who was the father of her her daughter? Is that something you've got to yet? I don't know. Um, um, I didn't know he was the father of her daughter, but I guess that he was. <laughs> Rachel has not finished the book. I haven't <laughs> finished the book. It's very long. Um, and yeah, one of her first jobs as a as a journalist is reporting on his house burning down and some mm. of his siblings being killed in that. Uh, and I thought he was a fascinating character. And we've got him in the diviners in. Is it Jasper in Moon Tiger? Yes. Who um, both the fathers, but not very present, but for very different reasons. Jasper's just a bit awful, but uh, <laughs> but uh, Skinner is a really complex, interesting character who has grown up in this um, very extremely poor, with a violent, uh, well, no, an alcoholic father who can be violent, a mother who's run away, uh, and he's dealing with the prejudices against Native Canadians. Um, in in his in their rural area uh they later meet up again in a in a more urban area and dealing with the dynamics going on there and i thought particularly for the period and written by a a white woman i thought was sensitively and interestingly done and and again as you say helps make it feel more like a sort of representative canadian novel than one that is Mm -hmm. just one echelon of canadian society yeah i think it's um I love the voice. I love her voice and I love the voice, like the voice of Morag and um, the world and the conflicted feelings that she has about everything. Like, you know, she's growing up with Christy, who is the town garbage man. Yes, so the, feels, what's he called? The nuisance. 
Yeah, works, the nuisance ground, the nuisance ground, grounds. which is like the the dump essentially, and he has to travel to and from there with everyone's rubbish. Um, and the truck that they drive around in is where the rubbish is kept, so it always stinks, and Christy always stinks. And Morag is torn between her love for him and her affection for him, and her hatred of him and how embarrassed she is by him because she wants to be better than that. And the same with with Prin, her adoptive mother, who is. You know, she becomes prematurely senile. She's very overweight. Um, and that kind of like she loves them and she's grateful for them. But at the same time, she can't wait to get away from them. And that kind of turmoil carries on as she gets older. And, you know, she wants to be a writer and she wants all this stuff. But she also wants to get married and have children. And she wants to love somebody. But she also wants to be independent. And all of that kind of, you know, very female narrative of, you know, I can't have everything, but I want everything. And how does this going to work for me? I just thought that sort of time when she's at university and, um, and then when she gets married, um, to her university tutor, which is very interesting that that was allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously he tells her, well, you know, you won't need to carry on with your degree now. Um, you know, you can just come and keep, keep house for me and read lots of books while I get on with my work sort of thing. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this guy is just odious. When is she going to wake up? And um, so I'm waiting for that to happen at the moment. So I'm about sort of six to 60% through, I think. Um, I'm really looking forward to finishing it because I do think it's a great book, but, um, it's like that odious depiction of him and and she and you see her innocence in that that she's only 20 she doesn't know yeah Um, it's it's definitely uh if not it's an abusive relationship in some ways in that he shouldn't have tried to have a relationship with her basically yeah it's very inappropriate and um she does eventually realize that (laughs) um and we see skinner again but um yeah i think it's interesting that they're both both the heroines of these books are writers but not and quite successful writers but not very well respected mm. um so we have um sort of i can't remember exactly what sort of novels um morag writes but uh nothing that's uh respected in the literary world and then no. um claudia writes sort of rompy history books <laughs> which uh uh, non-fiction but possibly not quite as non-fiction as she thinks they are <laughs> yeah, it seems like quite a lot of made-up stuff gets in them uh, so yeah I think it's interesting that both authors gave their characters the successful careers they wanted but with those sort of caveats I guess yeah and Claudia is obviously moving on to Moon Tiger is a fascinating character because she's so unlikable um, she's so sort of I suppose like she's self-interested and she's you know she's not an affectionate mother she thinks her daughter's boring and ordinary um and you know we we're not conditioned as a society to expect or accept that in a mother um and she's you know she's wrapped up in herself and she's not particularly kind to other people and she doesn't have a lot of time for other people or a lot of ability to kind of empathize with or sympathize with other people or kind of like her treatment of her sister-in-law is terrible um her relationship with her brother is highly questionable um and yeah at the same time by the end i mean the way what i love about the book is that it's so well constructed that you don't find out about tom until quite late on in the narrative so you spend most of your time reading the novel thinking she is just a piece of work like why would anyone want to 
you know, have a relationship with her or be friends with her or whatever. Like she's just a horrible person. And then gradually you realise that she is the way she is because of this fundamental experience that she had and this great loss that she's had that's at the centre of her life that she's never told anyone about. It's interesting you say all that because I actually quite like her. I know she's, I know that she has all these flaws uh, and she's very brittle and definitely very selfish. Um, So I don't think I'd want to be, I certainly wouldn't want to be her son or indeed (laughs) any other relationship with her, but... I think this, she has such uh, an intelligence and insight to others, even if she doesn't particularly use that to... She I mean, has some... no insight into herself, though, that's the thing. Yeah, interesting, yeah. And she certainly doesn't use that insight to be caring to others. No. She, nor does she particularly use it to triumph over them. She just sort of observes it. And, yeah. Um, and she said, yeah, she is not one of those people who's become less pleasant as she ages or as she's in a vulnerable situation. How she is at the end of her life is very indicative of what has been indicated throughout her life. She, yeah. Um, maybe maybe it's because it's quite a funny book as well. It was uh, softened because the, the way that she's rude is often quite funny, I thought, rather yeah. than upsetting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you, yeah. you don't sort of, you know, you're not going to cry about it, but you just think, like, oh, God, you know, she is one of those sorts of people. <laughs> uh, I just wrote a quote that I w- wanted to read out because I, I thought it was very amusing. This is from the present day section. Uh, it says, How did you sleep? inquires the nurse. Indifferently, says Claudia. I had a nightmare in which I now realise I was present at one of the more gruesome moments in the early 16th century, the flight of the Spaniards from the Aztec capital of Tlacopan. Gracious, murmurs the nurse, shaking pillows. I'll put the backrest up for you, shall I? Enjoy that. That's sort of, <laughs> she, she she doesn't have different registers for different situations, basically. Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes some some poor nurse who's just trying to do a job is going to kind of experience it. And some people like her brother or the um, or Jasper will meet her in a battle of wits, I guess. Yeah. Because they're both both these heroines are very intelligent, aren't they? They. Um, yes, and I think what's quite interesting about Claudia in the scenario that we're in as well is you also see how she's in this hospital and nobody knows the life that she's had and they treat mm-hmm. her like she's just a stupid idiot um when actually you know inside it's just all of this um you know all of this stuff all these experiences all these memories all of this you know intelligence and it's just not respected one of the things i really liked about the way she told the story is how often we see scenes from multiple points of view, one after mm. another, uh, sometimes, and the book glides between first and third person all the time. Yeah. Um, and often there'd be direct dialogue in a scene that was remembered by two different people, and the point of it would be the same, but the dialogue would be different in the same way that none of us remember what people have said to us word for word. We just remember the gist yeah. of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I thought that was clever because it it wasn't about some fundamental thing that people had remembered differently or some life-changing thing but it was about how memories um suit how our impressions of what a situation was and so um, in our memories in claudia's memory and other characters memories they all put emphasis differently on uh different parts of a conversation or different aspects of a, of a scene yeah um and she does she just judges it all so well and it's so well done um yeah it could, could have been quite irritating to see the same scene twice or over and over again but uh yeah, yeah she, she judges it well whereas the divine is is there's much more this sort of single version 
Um, I guess it's because it's all in the third person, but um, yeah, it's it's definitely Morag's point of view, we're getting it, albeit in the third person, but uh, there's nobody nobody else's voice in there. Um, so we can only see people... I, I think it's interesting um, in The Diviners to see how people think about her from her home community, because they see her as the person who went away and then came back. Um, and she's always the person who left the town. Uh, whereas, of course, she is the person. She sees herself as the person who ventured away to do all these other things to meet these other people to have this new life, uh, and then to return. Um, I'm always interested about books that look at people who've left their rural communities and gone to urban places, and, and everyone's opinion of that. And I think I think they did well to to have this place she'd left, seeing it through older eyes, uh, and indeed her middle-aged eyes by the end. Um, how her view of where she's from and the people that she lives with changes as she realizes that the grass isn't always greener essentially yeah it's interesting isn't it and i think it's it's also that kind of looking at the life of somebody who has grown up somewhere like that and who always sees it as being somewhere they need to get away from Mm. and what's really interesting is that she spends so much time in this novel thinking about the life that she had there and obviously, as much as she wants to get away from it, she never can. It has formed her. It's made her the person that she is. Whereas, yeah, I guess in Moontiger, because her her um, formative years are in the middle of war, nothing is uh, staying the same as it is. She goes off to Egypt, but that's not something that is... I mean, obviously, it's very different for her, but it's not unusual in the scope of what everyone else is doing because no one's life is continuing as it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the Diviners, we haven't mentioned yet, is the fifth book in a series, uh, or a cycle, I think it's called. Um, I think it's a very loose cycle. What do they call it? Does it say here? Uh, no. Um, oh, yes. the Sorry. The Manawaka Sequence, not cycle. So ah. Manawaka is a community. And I've read The Stone Angel, which was the first one of those. Um, then A Jest of God, The Fire Dwellers, A Bird in the House, and finally The Diviners. Um, I think it's quite possible as we have done to read one without having read the others. Apparently minor characters do pop up. Um, so who'd recognize if you had read the previous ones, but they are all standalone books as well. Uh, but yeah, I think it's interesting. Have, that it's have a, you read any of the other ones? So just the stone angel, which is, is the, first the first one. So yeah. who, whose story is that telling? Nobody that's mentioned here. Oh, right. Try, okay. Trying to remember her name. It's set, set in much earlier maybe in the late 19th century or early 20th century okay and this very old woman who basically well she i think she's very old um I, oh gosh i can't remember any of the details now but <laughs> essentially i what i remember is it was about how very old women are treated in that period and in, in that place um and she's trying to escape from her life one way or another i think it's been maybe 15 years since i read it so these are very sketchy details but i did remember really liking it and that's why i've bought up other margaret lawrence books since then um so i think it's all just adding to her sense the idea that margaret lawrence is documenting this i mean people have referred to them as the great american great canadian novel so maybe this the sequence is meant to be uh cumulatively a, a great account of canadian life over the course of a century wow yeah yeah okay well i mean i would certainly i've I'd never heard of her before so i'm really intrigued to read more and once i've read this one so this is the fifth so you know if they're all kind of going back in time then that's interesting so i wonder whether 
So this one is set in the 70s. So the other ones kind of, I don't know, we're moving forward by a decade each time, maybe. Maybe, yeah. I mean, yeah. Maybe if some, anyone who's read all of them can get in touch and let us know uh, yeah. what's going on. I think what I really liked about The Diviners was just the leisurely pace at which it's told. It is the sort of book you can just relax into. And even though big things are happening in her life, there's nothing, I didn't think there's anything urgent in the prose. It's it's yeah. very, um, yeah, it is leisurely. It's you just sort of soak, you immerse yourself in the world and in the narrative. And so a lot of time spent on descriptions that aren't adding to the central plot or um, or just experiences that it will just, it will just linger in uh, experience of nature or in the present day of talking about the divining or something like that which yeah. is really just building up this world um and i guess gives you that sense of, of a long life although her life is not that long at this point but uh, yeah the moon tiger whilst it covers a huge amount of ground is much um more economic i guess yeah yeah it's interesting i mean moon tiger for me is you know a wonderful wonderful novel and i think is um i think it's brevity does it does it a favor in that mm, it's quite mm. in, quite an intense experience as you're reading it i mean i remember at the beginning i wasn't quite sure i actually read it as part of the book group um with a book group i had at work and i chose the book largely based on the cover which is a terrible thing to say but <laughs> um, the cover was really nice and um Everyone started reading, and then people were coming up to me and like, "Oh, Rachel, I'm not sure about this book." And I thought, "Oh no, look, I've made this terrible mistake. Everyone hates it. I'm not sure I like it." And then when we actually got to the to the book club, everyone was just like, "Oh my goodness, completely changed my life! Like, what an amazing book!" And um, you know, we really weren't sure about it, but then you get to the end, everyone had cried. <laughs> I did find with both these books that it was a sort of book I could put down. I did not remember what I'd just been reading, but not not necessarily in a bad way, just because. It's more about the experience of reading it than it is about the plot. I thought. I mean, there is a, there is yes. plenty that happens, but I guess they're very feely books rather than thinky books. No, they <laughs> are. I was about to say that actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it kind of fits really well because you just you're sort of just immersed in it and you just have to go with it. Because like certainly mm. when you start reading, for me, the diviners and actually for both of them, it's really hard to place yourself as a reader in time. Like, where are you? Like, what? What? Why are we starting the story today? Like that's mm, not clear mm. in either of them, and you just have to kind of, rather than getting upset about that or trying to work it out, you just have to go with it and just trust that the narrative is going to carry you along, and it does. Here's another quote I'll just quickly read from Moon Tiger that I thought did a really good job of summing up why it's written the way it is. Where she says, um, "There is no chronology inside my head. I am composed of a myriad Claudias who spin and mix and part like sparks of sunlight on water." Which I thought mm, was beautiful. That is beautiful. Um, and it, that is the impression you get from the novel. As I say, the Diviners is much more linear, but um, Lively is, is much more like, yeah, like sparks of sunlight on water. Yeah. Um, and so, you, so I've read one, Margaret Lawrence. You've, this is your first one. We, I think we've both read a few Perpy Livelies. What else have you read by her? So I read the two that we read. So according to Mark, wasn't it? And we did um, that, yeah. What was the other one we read? We didn't. The other one we didn't do it with a. Another oh, of hers, it was just something else. Maybe the bookshop um, or something. Oh, yeah. Do you know what it is? I always get confused between those. those yeah, <laughs> the those, yeah, <laughs> um, I've just actually, um, I was a bit naughty the other day and I just popped into Oxfam and left with several books um, <laughs> that I hadn't intended to. And I bought a first edition of The Heat Wave 
Mm. Yes, everyone was reading that during the heat wave of 2018 yeah. or whenever it was. Yeah. So um, I'm looking forward to reading that. But I haven't read anything else, I don't think. Yeah, I've read hmm, something like How Did It Begin or what, what was it, The Photograph? One of her more recent ones. And then I read someone called Oleander Jacarenda. Is that by her? Yes, hmm. I think it is. I think that might be a memory of her childhood. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. And I didn't particularly like either of those. I think um, her, her more modern stuff isn't necessarily for me, but uh, the older stuff. Because, um, yeah, I don't know how many she'd written before Moon Tiger, but certainly... Um, she's certainly 50, prolific. 50 ago. Yeah, she? still going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, I've heard her speak a couple of times, actually, before I'd read anything by her, and she's a very good, very interesting speaker about her own life. I'm sure she is. I mean, she's the sort of person I should like to know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, Margaret Lawrence died not long after writing The Diviners. So, oh, did she? Um, oh, right. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. So people don't know if it was intended to be the last one of the of the series, but think possibly it should. Sorry, possibly it was based on right. the rudimentary research I did earlier. Oh, right. Okay. And she's certainly one of those names that I saw a lot when I was in Canada in bookshops, and I bought a couple of her books there as well. So I think right. she's still certainly remembered. I think I think the diviners uh, is quite common on Canadian high school syllabi. Oh right. Well, I would be very interested to hear from Canadian listeners about this. Absolutely. We should have asked Claire when she was here. We should have done. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's come to tea or books decision-making time. Which of the two, um, or which of the one and a half in your case, are you going to go for? Yeah, I'm really enjoying The Diviners, and this, uh, this shouldn't be a judgment on that. But for me, I thought The Moon Tiger was quite a profound reading experience, and I think I'm going to go with that. Right. Yes, I really like both of them. I think I found the Diviners a really profound experience and really just, it's not often I feel completely enveloped in a world in that way. Maybe because of its length, it really lent itself to that. So whilst I love them both, I'm going to go with, I think the Diviners is going to be maybe on my top books of the year. So I'll put that as my mm, choice. There we are. All right. And in the next episode, we will be looking at two books about couples on the cusp of wartime, albeit different wars. Um, the Great Fortune by Olivia Manning and William an Englishman by Cicely Hamilton. Very excited to talk about those. We don't know when that will be. No, hopefully not as long a gap. No, but I am going on holiday soon, so um, I'm off to Costa Rica. My goodness. I know, it's very exotic. We can so, definitely take those on holiday with you and enjoy them there. Oh yeah, no, I will. I'm, doing, I'm not taking my laptop with me, I'm just reading. In fact, if anyone has any recommendations, actually, for any novels set in Costa Rica or written by Costa Rican novelists that are translated to English, I'd be very happy to hear them. Great, yeah, do get in touch. Yeah. Uh, all the books and authors mentioned are at stuckinabook.com. You can find Rachel's erstwhile blog at booksnob.wordpress.com. It's not not been updated for a little while, but it's there. <laughs> it will be updated again soon, I promise. Excellent. Yeah. Um, thank you for your patience waiting for this episode, and thank you to the dear person who got in touch to check if we've, if we've decided to stop recording. Oh, we have not. We are keeping it? going. Um, it in. You're terrible. Just harangue Rachel. Please join me in haranguing her. <laughs> she likes the attention, really. Uh, we'll speak to you soon. Speak to you soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.